Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the award-winning podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, as always, thanks for listening. Our guest is Dr. Monique Gary, a board-certified, fellowship-trained breast surgical oncologist and medical director of the Grandview Health Penn Cancer Network Cancer Program in Sellersville, Pennsylvania, where she also serves as director of the breast program. As a physician, advocate, and expert on health and healthcare disparities, she is passionate about developing integrative, holistic, and innovative approaches to cancer treatment, prevention, and general wellness. Dr. Gary joins us today to talk about oncoplastic lumpectomy surgery, which is lumpectomy to remove the breast cancer, followed by immediate breast reconstruction. In many cases, lumpectomy and reconstruction are done during the same surgery. The goal is to have the best possible cosmetic outcomes without the need for any additional surgery to correct any dents or asymmetry. Dr. Gary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. So I gave a rather short description of oncoplastic lumpectomy surgery in the the introduction, Um, but it is relatively new. So if you could, could you explain it in a little bit more detail and maybe tell us how it came about? Like, why was it created? Absolutely. So oncoplastic surgery merges the principles of oncology surgery, which is removing the tumor entirely and getting adequate margins around it. And it merges that with plastic surgery to help reshape the breast. And this is a way of helping to take larger tumor volumes. Uh, It's a way to help patients feel more confident and more empowered after their surgeries. Uh, It can help reduce side effects and facilitate better healing. And overall, we've just noticed that by utilizing this technique more and more, we find better patient outcomes. And so uh, it's an emerging field that really began, I think, uh, if we look at the history of oncoplastic breast surgery, uh, there is a surgeon by the name of Krishna Clough, C-L-O-U-G-H, who was, uh, he is in France, and he's considered the inventor of oncoplastic surgery. He's a plastic surgeon who began to do cancer surgery for patients because they really wanted to have more superior cosmetic outcomes. And prior to this, surgeons would place their incisions directly over tumors. They would take out large volumes and not replace that volume, which would result in things like dents and divots in the breast uh, or large fluid collections after surgery uh, that then would require significant wound healing or drains. And uh, he said, well, why can't we have the best of both worlds? And he began this field. And from there, it really took off like wildfire with new fellowships developing in oncoplastic techniques. Uh, the societies of surgical oncology and society of breast surgeons and even the plastic surgery societies all began to teach this because it really is the next frontier in what we do as cancer surgeons is that it's not just about how the patient looks, but it's about using these techniques to really accomplish all the things we want to do in cancer and do so in a way that is just cosmetically as appealing as possible to patients. Thank you. So if someone is interested in this, if a woman's interested, does she need to go to a specially trained breast surgeon, how how do you go about making sure that you're talking to the right people? 
I think starting with uh, surgeons who are either fellowship trained in uh, breast surgery, because many people who go through the fellowship, doctors who finish the fellowship will have training uh, in both breast surgery as well as plastic surgery techniques, and they'll be taught specific oncoplastic techniques. So seeking out a surgeon who has that fellowship training or finding a general surgeon who is knowledgeable in these techniques are really great places to start. And so you can go to websites, for example, like the Society of Surgical Oncology, the American Society of Breast Surgeons, and you can find directories of surgeons in that state where you can see who's got the techniques. You can go to their website, you can look at their social media, you can look at their pictures and see, and really have a consult with those doctors. And it's a scary thing to do when you're facing cancer. And many patients come to us and they say, well, I don't really care how it looks, just get rid of the cancer. But when you realize that if you've got early stage breast cancer and you're not likely to die from your disease and you're going to be around, you begin to, to think about where you're going to look and where your scars will be and how that will impact you. And from the medical perspective, it's our job as doctors to think about how it impacts the patient. So where their scar is can affect how much pain they have, how much scar tissue they have, where the radiation might be directed. And so there's all sorts of considerations on the other side of fear that we should be helping guide a patient towards so that they can make the best decisions for them. Okay. Okay. That's that's really good information to have. Now, I, I know we talked about this is relatively new. How common is it and are there a good number of surgeons trained in oncoplastic techniques, say, in each state? Or are there still some areas where there might be a, a void? I think there are still areas where there's a void. Uh, and when you look at who's doing the majority of breast cancer surgery in this country, it's still general surgeons who finish their training. And yes, they're trained to do breast surgery and breast cancer surgery, but not really trained to do the plastic surgery techniques or the volume replacement uh, or the, all of the considerations, things like um, elevating and moving nipples, like matching symmetry and, and doing some of the other more advanced techniques. And so I think patients really do have to seek out those doctors and it's great to start with a first opinion and to see the surgeon you know, in your area or in your institution or where you got your biopsy. But as, as you move forward in your process, you want to ask really specific questions to help understand if that surgeon has the skill that you need. And if they don't, if they partner with a plastic surgeon who does, uh, because many plastic surgeons are trained in these techniques as well. And while they don't remove the cancer, they can then perform the cosmetic reconstruction that helps to marry the onco with the plastic. Okay. Now, in your experience, how common is it for women who've had lumpectomy with no reconstruction afterward to have an additional surgery or even more than one additional surgery to improve the aesthetics of the breast? I think for a long time, women didn't know that they could have additional surgery to, to improve the aesthetic of their breast. And that's really sad and disheartening. I see a number of patients who come from other doctors and they've had their surgery many years ago and they were never offered any surgery to help either replace volume, uh, to remove scar tissue, to create symmetry or balance in their, in their breast bilaterally. And it's really sad because they are putting things in their bra, prostheses and things. They are just dealing and living with chronic pain from scar tissue, and they don't realize that there are techniques that can help to improve those things. And so I think it's more common than we believe. And uh, as it becomes more widespread that patients realize that, one, they have autonomy and they have a choice 
and they can decide what doctor they want to see and who they want to do their surgery, but also that even if they weren't offered those things at the time, they can now still be a candidate for uh, for oncoplastic um, symmetry procedures and uh, for volume replacement through things like lipofilling or liposuction and fat grafting into areas of scar tissue that can help improve pain, decrease scars, and improve cosmetic outcomes. Oh, that's great. So that was actually going to be my next question. So there's really no time limit on this. Say if somebody had lumpectomy surgery 15 or 20 years ago and does have a dent, she could still seek out an oncoplastic surgeon today and talk about some options to perhaps correct some of those, um, like a dent or some asymmetry. Sure. Uh, she absolutely could. And even if she doesn't, I think it's important for us as doctors to ask her about it, how much it matters to her, because she may not bring it up. She's coming for her annual checkup. She's 10 years out and, you know, she's got this area of scar tissue or this dent or this, you know, divot in the breast. And I, I want to be sensitive to patients because, you know, our, our scars for different people represent different things. And I know this because I've got a scar on the back of my hand. I was in an automobile accident when I was in college, and I lost all the skin on the back surface of my left hand. And there's a very large area where there's a skin graft there. And that scar, to me, that means different things at different times. And so I want to be sensitive to patients and say, you know, how, how comfortable are you in your bras? How comfortable are you with your scar? Do you have any symptoms? Are you having pain here? Does this cause you any discomfort, either physically or psychologically? And if they say yes, it opens the door to having a greater discussion about what their options might be. And some patients really, you know, wear their scars as a badge of honor, and they don't want to be offended by the suggestion that their scar is anything but theirs and, and completely appropriate. But I find, by and large, it's a great way to build trust and rapport with patients to bring up the obvious thing, which is you've got quite the scar there. How does it make you feel? And let them speak about their experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's very good. Now, are all women good candidates for oncoplastic lumpectomy? Might there be some that it's not appropriate for? Absolutely. That's a great question. All women are not candidates, but by and large, the majority of women are candidates for oncoplastic surgery. So people who are not candidates for oncoplastic surgery would be uh, individuals who might have had uh, prior breast cancer, prior radiation. Uh, because many times we are not able to re-radiate the breast, and so those are patients who would be candidates for mastectomies, and, and there's certainly reconstructive options there. Um, people who have connective tissue disorders and who um, their skin won't do well with things like radiation might not consider a breast-conserving surgery at all, and they might be more likely to opt for things like a mastectomy. So these would be people who have scleroderma, people who have lupus, uh, connective tissue disorders, because we know that radiation can really affect the integrity of their skin. Uh, individuals who have inflammatory breast cancer, where cancer has entered the dermal lymphatics or the cells just underneath the skin that drain into the lymph nodes in the armpits. Those people who have that sort of angry-looking skin and inflammatory changes are not candidates for breast conservation or lumpectomies either, and so they're not candidates for oncoplastic breast surgery or oncoplastic reconstruction using lumpectomy. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Now, uh, you did talk a bit about some of the benefits of oncoplastic lumpectomy. Are there any others that we didn't talk about yet? And are there any risks? I'm wondering, you know, what does a woman need to weigh when she's thinking about this? 
Well, I think there's a couple considerations. So, you know, the first consideration is where is my tumor and what's my tumor biology? Because when a patient understands what their tumor biology is, they know if they're going to need something like chemotherapy, even if the tumor is a small or a larger tumor, you know, the, the things that determine whether or not a patient needs chemotherapy, we can find out some of that information early and some patients would benefit from it sooner. So chemotherapy, uh, the type of tumor, the location of the tumor. So if the tumor is very close to the nipple, uh, is breast conservation an option? Or am I going to lose the nipple and need to do some reconstruction thereafter? I find that patients who have tumors that are involving the nipple uh, many times will have a mastectomy because if you do a lumpectomy and you take the nipple, well, you know, many patients would say, well, just take the rest of the breast tissue and reduce my risk thereafter by doing a mastectomy and reconstruct the whole breast and not just reconstruct the nipple. Um, and that's a matter of preference. Um, I think other considerations, you know, is where your tumor is located and the size and the symmetry of your breast. So I always look at the, the patient, uh, as, you know, with their hands on their hips, and I look at the symmetry. If one breast is larger than the other, if one nipple is higher or lower or more lateral or sideways or more medial, you know, how, how, how well are the breasts matched and how much volume would I need to take uh, for the surgery on one side? And then do we need to do anything on the other side to make that other breast match? Because that can happen at the same time. I also talk to patients about considerations like neck pain and back pain. And so they might be candidates for things like reduction. Uh, and so the things that a patient will want to consider are all of those things. And, and it's up to the doctor really to ask and to educate the patient because, you know, this patient's facing a diagnosis of cancer. And so there's a lot of other thoughts besides, you know, how my breasts are going to look. And so it's up to us to help guide the patient from fear into feeling empowered enough to make decisions that they may not appreciate until six months or a year later. I can't tell you the number of patients I've had who've come back and said, you know what, I'm really glad that we did this this way because back then I just wanted to live. And now I see some of my friends or now I look at my breasts and I feel really good about or now I can exercise and I don't have as much neck pain or back pain. Other considerations would be the amount of glandular density of the breast or fatty tissue within the breast because women who have more fat, meaning a bit less density, um, can get more uh, scar tissue within the breast called fat necrosis. Uh, and that's when the fat cells get kind of hard and calcified. And so taking into account the breast density, the shape, the size, um, whether or not a patient is a smoker or not, those are all things that in impact wound healing as well. Okay. Okay. All very good things to know. Now, for my friends who've been diagnosed with breast cancer, making the choice between lumpectomy and mastectomy was very personal. And I've talked to other women who were really, really concerned about the risk of recurrence or developing a new breast cancer in the other breast, especially if they had somebody else in their family who had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And so they opted for mastectomy. And I've also, even if it was, you know, DCIS or a very small uh, early stage breast cancer. And I know too, that some plastic surgeons have said, well, if you have a mastectomy, you're giving me a, a better canvas to work on. I can give you a better result that way. So how does oncoplastic lumpectomy kind of fit in all those scenarios? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, for the patient, 
you've got a, a, a smorgasbord now where, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a surgeon would say, okay, we're going to cut out your tumor. And, you know, they wouldn't tell you where the scar was going to be. And, you know, 20 years ago, a woman could wake up without a breast even. And mm-hmm. she'd go in for one surgery and come out and have something different that happened based on what that surgeon thought intraoperatively. And now there's so much forethought that goes into this process. And so, you know, I say to patients, you've got to take into consideration your tumor type how aggressive it is and what treatments you'll need afterwards. So if you know that radiation is not going to be a good fit for you uh, for whatever reason, you know, then you're already thinking, I'm probably not going to do a lumpectomy. There are indications for radiation after a mastectomy, and so you should talk about that. But you're already thinking, okay, I, I really am vehemently opposed to, I'm not a candidate for radiation. You think about your family history, like you said, you know, if you have a strong family history, there are calculators that we can do that can help a patient to know their risk of recurrence after a breast cancer. And, um, you know, we can help a patient to make uh, informed decisions based upon knowing what the risk of recurrence would be. In general, we we recommend and we suggest to patients, and, and the data suggests that the risk of recurrence uh, is fairly low after lumpectomy as long as a patient does their radiation and or complies with the anti-estrogen therapy or those estrogen-blocking pills that we recommend for certain patients who have estrogen receptor-positive cancers. But when you look at the overall lifetime risk based upon the tumor type, the family history, aggressive features, et cetera, mastectomy is a good option for some people. Um, to the subject of plastic surgeons who say they have a better canvas, I I think that that is... Um, is that too old school? I mean, this this was a few years ago <laughs> that, that somebody said that to me, so maybe that's outdated by yeah, now. It, it, it is, and, you know, my plastic surgeons, I, I love the surgeons I work with because they also, in addition, you know, they, they don't like to overpromise the patients. Let me say it this way. They want to help patients have a realistic expectation, and for patients who have droopy or tubular breasts or other things, Sure, doing a unilateral or mastectomy on one side is not going to get you the symmetry that you would desire because an implant-based reconstruction is going to sit a lot higher or doing a lumpectomy and taking out a large volume of tissue in one breast is going to significantly reduce the size of that breast even after radiation. And so, you know, helping patients to understand how they're going to realistically look and how important symmetry is, is the role of the plastic surgeon. But to just say, I have a better canvas, I think that that's... um, sort of an old school way of thinking. And there are really great ways and tools that we, you know, great ways that we can help a patient to have better symmetry. And um, we should be discussing that more rather than what would allow us to do our job easier. Our job is to do what the patient wants and to to do so in a way that makes them feel whole and makes them feel empowered. And we've got all the tools and all the training to do just that. Okay, thank you. Um, And finally, to wrap up, you gave a very good overview of things that a woman should consider when she's making her decisions for lumpectomy versus mastectomy. But you did mention something, and and I, I wonder how you help patients get through this, is, you know, when somebody is told you have breast cancer, you've been diagnosed with breast cancer, we found it, I've talked to so many women who say, I heard that. And then all I heard was like, wah, 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 wah. I heard nothing else. And it takes a long time for things to sink in and to be able to kind of make some decisions. And 
especially with lumpectomy, it seems to me like the, the surgery is going to be first in most cases. I, I, I guess I realized there would be some times where you might have chemotherapy first and then surgery. So you'd have a little bit more time to, to think about it. But it seems like in most cases it would be surgery first and then radiation and potentially chemotherapy if needed. So that decision on surgery is going to be the first big decision to be made. So how do you help women kind of get past the wah, wah, wah phase and, and, and start to think, you know, really think about their options? Wow, it's a great question. And I think that, you know, when a woman is diagnosed, you're absolutely right. All she hears is you have cancer and then everything else is, you're lucky if they hear every third word. So making sure that you've got a team of support, advocates, family members, loved ones, whomever you choose, who can ask good questions, who can write down things, who can help you sort through some of the, the fear and some of the noise is a huge and important thing to do. And I always ask patients, one, when I'm seeing them even before their biopsy, who's your support? Because I want them to start thinking, who am I bringing back with me? So when you come back to see me to discuss these results, who are you going to bring with you? And they're already thinking, okay, I'm going to bring my sister, I'm going to bring my husband, I'm going to bring my friend who already had cancer and who's been through this before. So having great advocates and a good team is super, super important to be able to even hear this conversation. Um, helping patients to know that they have some time to make decisions. You know, the, the doubling time for a single cancer cell can be anywhere from, you know, upwards of 90 to 120 days, even for a single cell. And so we like to, to do surgery or to do a first line of therapy within the first 30 days. Um, but within that time frame, you've got a team of people who are going to make sure that you've got phone calls, you get a second appointment, you get to see your plastic surgeon, you get to, you know, get a second opinion if you would like to do that. And so the, the, the ball starts moving pretty quickly. So the sooner a patient can wrap their mind around their diagnosis, understand what their stage means and the implications of their stage on their survival and on their type of surgery. Because if you've got locally advanced cancer, if it's in your lymph nodes, well, then we might be talking about chemotherapy and other things, and you might opt for reconstructive options or symmetry procedures later on. And, you know, the last thing is I always tell patients that if all else fails, you know, we can always plan to do the cancer surgery first and then do additional things later. And what that means is as the surgeon, it means that I'm being very selective and very thoughtful about where I'll place incisions, about where volume could be missing, about what to do in the other breast so that when that patient is ready to have that conversation and to think about those things, they're able to do so in a way that hasn't compromised the breast uh, so they can have the best cosmetic outcome. So I can hide that scar around the nipple and we could go back later and lift that nipple or lift the nipple on the other side, for example. Uh, and, and so there aren't a lot of wrong answers and oncoplastic surgery has really given us the freedom to do just that. You know, and we know that insurance now can cover cosmetic and uh, symmetry procedures in the opposite breast as well. So now we can get that lift or that reduction that you've always been wanting so that you can have a better quality of life. Now we can make those nipples match. Now we can do more things. So taking the patient through the journey of you've got cancer to let's talk about what your wishes are. Are there things that maybe you haven't been as thrilled with with your breast, right? Because everybody kind of, you know, we, we don't always love our bodies before cancer. And so it's hard for us to, to really put on our pink tutu and, and love our bodies and live our best lives after cancer sometimes. But if there are some things that you've been thinking and maybe some ways that you haven't been pleased, how can we make you a little bit happier as a result of this? 
And so I try to take that approach with patients and I find that they're able to ease their way into thoughts about one, surgery on the opposite breast that doesn't have cancer, but two, feeling like they got some measure of control again in a situation where they really didn't have a lot of control. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so important. Dr. Gary, thank you so much. This has been so informative. Um, I think this is going to help quite a few people. I really appreciate your insights. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been a, a great conversation. And, you know, I, I hope it helps some folks and that we can, um, that you know, that, that we can help people to make these decisions. And one of the great things about your organization is that you've got all these wonderful resources online so that as soon as somebody gets diagnosed, or if they have family or friends and they're the advocate and they're the support, they can go to websites like yours and podcasts like yours and they can get great information. So thanks for letting me be a part of it. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, You can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.